Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is not Caleb Mason. It is definitely Todd Ixenball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. And Todd, oh my goodness, it is 2019. Can you believe it? Um, yeah, you just, you got older. Caleb had a birthday. How do you feel? I, I feel older. You are, because you are old. That, yes. <laughs> anyway, we, Todd, we have a great guest today. We are kicking off the new year. Who is song. it? You know who's on the podcast today? Who is it? No, you didn't tell me. Danielle Strickland. Oh, yay. I love her. Todd, what? Where, where did you first find out about Danielle? Do you remember? Um, well, for one, she's on, like, all of our favorite podcasts. Like, she's been on Carrie Newhoff's podcast. Um, I, I, she's, she's been everywhere in terms of podcast world. Like, she's been on a lot of different shows. She was on Sam Collier's show. Um, just, yeah. So, she's been everywhere. But I think the first time that I, I kind of came across her was at Catalyst, like, three, four years ago, something like that. She was a Catalyst, and I, I was like, holy smokes, who is this woman talking? Like, she was so good. And I think that was the first time I ever came across her, and then just from then, for, you know, since then, um, just any time that I'm somewhere where she's speaking, I'm definitely, definitely, definitely trying to to listen, because she's just that good. Yeah, I remember listening to her at the lunch conference, and... Uh, she just brought the house down. It was, it was absolutely amazing. But Danielle, uh, she's not just a speaker, but she has worked with uh, the Salvation Army. They're actually, uh, she no longer works with them, but she spent over 22 years there as an ambassador, or sorry, and she's also an ambassador for Compassion International. And she has uh, started a lot of movements on her own. She's the co-founder of Infinitum. Uh, Brave Global Ampl- Amplify Peace and the Women Speakers Collective. And she's also an author. She's wrote a few books, uh, most recently, uh, The Zombie Gospel. I've read her book, The Ultimate Exodus. And have you read The Ultimate Exodus, Todd? I have. That's one of, that. That's my favorite book that she's written. Oh, it's so good. But before we get into our conversation with Danielle, we have our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. It's the first one of 2019. And I actually have the resource to that. Boom. It, it is a book that I uh, that I've read, and uh, kind of the I figured I would kind of go on theme. You know, most people New Year, new improve, self improvement, all that stuff. Um, and the book I've decided to go with is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Oh, Tim Ferriss. And have, have you ever read The 4-Hour Workweek, Todd? Nope. You've been telling me I need to. It's super good, super practical. Um, even if you're like, there's no way that I can work a 4-Hour Workweek, I would say it can definitely help you increase your productivity. So that is our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. Love it. And by the way... Um, just go out and listen and consume anything that Tim Ferriss puts out. Like, he's he's pretty awesome. Agreed. You know who else is pretty awesome? Danielle Strickland. Yes, she is. And so, here is our conversation with Danielle. Well, Danielle, welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. We are so excited to have you on today. 
Hey, it's my joy. Thanks for having me. You know, just as we get started, you know, we've become uh, familiar with you just listening to you, you know, through the Orange Conference and through Orange Tour and stuff. And you, you always just seem so inspiring and often have like a charismatic, uh, you know, kind of flair to you. And, you know, we know that you've traveled a lot over the world, you know, talking with thousands of people. Um, but it hasn't always been that way. You know, you haven't always been speaking to thousands. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your story and kind of how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, it's really, I feel like I'm trapped in a divine comedy to tell you the truth. That's how I describe it, that God kind of took a look and thought like, who's the most unlikely person (laughs) uh, to do this job? And then was like, Oh, I know we'll use Danielle. That'll be hilarious. Um, I was a high school dropout. I was uh, an addict um, and really estranged from my family. I had a very powerful encounter with Jesus and actually the Salvation Army that um, helped me understand that God was for me, not against me. And I pursued then um, kind of a uh, I, I got kind of infected with a bug uh, of this global transforming power of like love and acceptance and interrupting sort of cycles of injustice. And, and it is, it hasn't gone away. I'm still um, completely amazed by God's plan to redeem absolutely everyone and use everything to bring about a better world. So I just went kind of from my first experience of kind of this global understanding of God working in the world was a, a mission trip I took to Africa I kind of then I was converted again, in a sense, from faith just being something God did for me to faith being something God could do with me and through me. Um, And that really converted me to this idea of being a partner in what God wanted to do. And and then I, I just kind of pursued every I worked, you know, nights at a hostel until I could. Uh, get to the next place where I felt like God could use me. And then eventually what happened was I realized God could use me everywhere. And I just started paying attention to wherever I could partner uh, with God. So for me, one of the fastest ways to make my whole life about partnering with God for missional outcomes was through the Salvation Army was to become what uh, is called an officer, which would be like a clergy or full-time minister with the Salvation Army and then began uh, that journey for 22 years. Uh, Just in December last year, um, really felt called to uh, the bigger, wider, whole church and feel like we're in a real season right now of um, kind of church denomination structure systems as we know them. They're all uh, changing and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful change, but it's also a little painful. So there's a little bit of that with my own system structure denomination but a real sense that God was leading me to um, to just keep on being a mobilizer of people. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about, you know, your work with the Salvation Army and kind of what you've experienced and some of the things that you've learned in the Salvation Army that have shaped you today. Yeah, the DNA of the Salvation Army is uh, Isaiah 58. It's what I call the heartbeat of God. So it is this fusion Uh, This super strong fusion of this uh, unashamed proclamation of who Jesus is and the gospel with this practical justice based inclusion of uh, mercy and uh, and hope in the world. 
Uh, it's beautiful. And for me, the Salvation Army is much more tribal. My parents were both rescued as orphans by the Salvation Army. So like my story of redemption actually starts with their story of redemption, which came, you know, with a, a, a little Salvation Army lady knocking on doors in poor neighborhoods, just looking for kids that needed hope. And both of them sort of witnessed to feeling like, one, they mattered, uh, two, they were invited and they both witnessed to the fact that when they joined the Salvation when they arrived at the Salvation Army, they felt like they'd finally found a place to belong uh, and a family they were looking for. And I think that's probably the best, you know, that's a Salvation Army at its best. Its original DNA is a place for everybody uh, to belong. No one's, it's not too hard. It's not too late. You're not too <laughs> whatever, fill in the blank. You, you are included in this beautiful story of redemption. Um, and that's been true of my experience with the Salvation Army, and I've been uh, super thrilled uh, to partner with them for so many years in doing exactly that, uh, sort of returning the favor of inclusion and grace and truth and hope uh, to folks who might not otherwise hear it. You have, you have been on all sorts of platforms, um, whether it's publicly speaking on stage at, you know, we mentioned Orange Conference or different different conferences and things like that. You have your own podcast. Um, you've been interviewed on many podcasts and shows. What's something that no one has asked you about yet that you're super passionate about that you would love to talk more about? Yeah, that was that, that is such a funny question. Uh, it's a fantastic question, by the way, but it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, I really don't know uh, to tell you the truth. I can't. Um, I can't think of something um, that I haven't actually. I feel like I have no unpublished thought. <laughs> so, what's something right now that you're super passionate about that you're just whether it's something you're working on or something you're just investigating. Um, that that you, you're really vibing with right now. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of things that I exude, like I can't stop talking about. I just had a meeting yesterday with a bunch of different churches that are coming together in Toronto, where I live, to do the first uh, Brave event in Canada. Mm -hmm. So I always feel like a broken record. I feel like people must get tired of me talking about this. But I really, actually, one of the questions somebody asked is like, is this going to be one of those things that just like happens one time so that Christians can feel good that they've done something and then they go away? And, um, and I, at the meeting, I was reminded at what God said to me when this brave thing started, which is this, this tool to mobilize churches to reach vulnerable girls before they're sexually trafficked and, uh, has just really been a, a rock your world moment for me again, just like reminding me of what God wants to do and, um, how he sees actually all of these things that seem like paralysis sizing chaos as opportunities for uh, redemption. Anyway, I remember saying to this person in the meeting yesterday, um, God told me that if I gave my, the whole rest of my life to this, to empowering vulnerable girls and helping the church be there for vulnerable girls before they're trafficked, it would be worth it. And it was one of those like aha moments, again, just like a reminder again, that this stuff we get to partner with God, like these things that God invites us to are these, these things that are worthy, you know, they're things that are worth it. And uh, a friend of mine recently was telling me about uh, hearing the story of John the Baptist, you know, when John the Baptist sends his disciples to find Jesus and says to them, like, are you really the one? And, and are you the one we're expecting or should we look for another? And Jesus sends back word that this is what's happening. And 
I've always heard that passage of scripture viewed as John the Baptist is having doubts. But my friend was telling me that they were, they heard, they were reading this thing and they were realizing that what John the Baptist wanted to know from Jesus was not if he's the one as in he's doubting he's the one, but if he's the one in that this is worth his life. And, um, and that that's what he heard when the, when Jesus said, go tell John that the blind are still like the prophecies are coming true, that this kingdom of God is actually coming to people in the world. Uh, go tell him that it's worth it. And I feel like, you know, the kind of changes the perception. And anyway, all that to say, I'm sorry, I'm a preacher. I can't stop. But, um, all that to say that anything that I get to be part of that changes the trajectory of people's lives from despair to hope, you know, is worth it. Um, and that's been a thing on my mind today. And you mentioned it earlier when you, when you brought up uh, brave conference um, and that's kind of one of the avenues that you take to do that for our listeners. Can you just talk to us a little bit about what that is um, so that people can get more of a context for what it is you do with that? Yeah. Brave is a catalytic movement for girls and, what it does is churches that want to really help uh, stop human trafficking, it's giving them a tool to get to the girls before the traffickers do. So we realized, we came across a study in the States that says about 70 to 80%, depending on the city, so this fluctuates, but it's between 70 to 80% of all sex trafficking victims that are born in America come from the foster care system. So at first, when we heard that stat, we were like, and I've spent like a large part of the years that I've worked with the Salvation Army trying to get women out of sex trafficking and out of sexual exploitation. So that stat was a staggering one for me. But it also, it went with this remembrance of every single story I've ever heard from every woman that I've ever worked with trying to get out of um, sexual exploitation, that actually their trajectory is always the same. You know, it's pre, it's preteen, teen, and they're recruited and they're exploited when they're vulnerable in those, in those sectors. So we first, we were like, what? And then second, we were like, wait a minute, we know who these girls are. And we had this thought that if exploiters, traffickers could target vulnerable girls for exploitation, why couldn't the church target vulnerable girls for freedom? And um, it was sort of an aha moment, you know, one of those moments where you're like, yeah, that doesn't. And also, here's another interesting thing is because when you're in the anti-trafficking space, it's pretty despairing. Like the numbers are paralyzing and overwhelming. And you really feel like someone said to me, like you're shoveling water. It's what it feels like, you know, like you're trying to make a way through a sea that just, you know, it's, it feels redundant. And uh, this all of a sudden made it feel like a fair fight. Like if we could prevent 80% of the girls from even getting into trafficking, uh, sexual exploitation, then we only have like 20% left to deal with. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it just felt like it was a game changer. It also felt like a tremendous opportunity to mobilize the church. Uh, how does the church be good news in their community? How does the church represent the good news of God? How does the church actively prevent evil? Um, you know, this seemed like a, a no-brainer way. So churches that want to be part of this, they sign up to braveglobal.org and they get a coach that helps them to identify vulnerable girls in their community. They put on a catalytic event. Uh, usually it's a one-day event or even a full-night event. 
where girls are inspired to understand that um, there's hope, that they have hope because they can be strong. And survivors of various forms of exploitation usually come and tell their story. There's usually a martial artist uh, that comes and and teaches self-defense and just really calling out the strength and the empowerment of the girls that exist. So we see them not as a problem, but as a solution to the problem. And then the third thing is there's a follow-up strategy. We're still working on some of those details. Uh, Right now working on an app. Uh, that will help girls stay connected to positive uh, uh, and supportive communities. But um, anyway, that's kind of brave. That's what that's what brave is. And we're looking for churches that will choose to be brave. Um, yeah. So, so you, met, you mentioned something earlier, and I just wanted to go back to it. You said that um, kind of working in this in this realm can oftentimes lead to to just despair, just because the numbers are huge. And it seems like, you know, you help, you help one, one woman out and then there's five more to take the, to take her place. So we live in the reality of, uh, so, so there's this tension between reality and truth and what we want to accomplish. How do you, how do you remain encouraged? How do you encourage your team and how do you encourage the churches that want to take this step of faith to begin to do this in the midst of, as you said, daunting numbers and, and a task that, like you said, seems impossible? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, how I do that is kind of like the author of Lamentations. There's a verse in Lamentations 3 that says, you know, all this bitterness and all this, the whole book is like just a weeping book of like destruction and despair and chaos. And then, and then the writer says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Uh, Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. And what I do is very similar to what that author suggests is I call things to mind that bring me hope. So like just the other day, my friend Tannis, who was sexually, she started being sexually exploited when she was 11. She was a heroin addict. She was the worst case I've ever seen. I ran into her on a street outreach ministry on the corner, selling her body on crutches because her legs don't work anymore because of an abscess. And she's a heroin addict. I mean, just, it, it was like, she's worst case scenario. And, and God graciously, graciously, and she courageously partnered with God in his grace and uh, is free and is saved and is clean and is an advocate for girls and is a brave ambassador telling her own story and what might have changed her trajectory. And uh, I call her to mind just the other day. I, I read a newspaper article that a local town had written about her story and she texted me the link and then said, by the way, the paper has gotten five calls from girls just from reading that story saying, where can I get some help? Um, and so what I do on a regular basis, almost as a discipline, is I think gratitude uh, and thanksgiving for what God has done. I call to mind, like I'm intentional about calling to mind the things that God has done so that my focus is on what God can do and not on what I can't do. So as long as my focus is on what I can't do, I'm paralyzed, I'm despairing, I'm hopeless, I'm sad, I'm cynical even. Mm -hmm. But when my eyes are fixed on what God can do and how he can use the most unlikely and weirdest and smallest and seemingly insignificant efforts to do these remarkable, beautiful things in real people's lives, then you're like, wait a minute, you know, kind of it brings you to this like worshipful moment where you're like, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? And 
I think it shifts my perspective. It changes what I look at. It changes what I look for. And it puts my hope in someone who's greater than uh, the evil that is uh, before us. So that calling to mind, is that uh, memorizing scriptures, internalizing, like internalizing truth or just repeating that? Or is it stuff that you have on your phone? What does that look like? Yeah, I do a whole bunch of things because I'm a little bit um, like eclectic. So I'm 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 not really like super disciplined at doing the same things all the time. But so I just do a whole bunch of things. Yeah, <laughs> and like I read like you know eight books at a time, same thing. <laughs> so I eventually finish yep. them all. But I just so uh, I found that instead of fighting that inclination in spiritual disciplines, I've just embraced it. So uh, I do that. I try to practice the examen, uh, which is really just a intentional review of your day. I try to do this at night when I'm trying to fall asleep and I can't fall asleep. And I go through the day looking for moments where God's grace was evident and then identifying where I got it and being thankful for that and then identifying where I missed it and then asking God to kind of give me another chance tomorrow. This has really increased my ability to see grace at work every day, uh, which is really the good news of the day instead of the bad news. Uh, I try to cultivate gratitude in our family. We try at dinner time and stuff. We talk about things that we're thankful for and things that happen that we're grateful for in the day. Uh, just as a posture, I feel like ingratitude is so, um, I just, I don't have room for cynicism in my life. I just don't have space for it. It sucks life out of me. So I cultivate gratitude, which I think is the solution to cynicism and despair. Um, I keep a gratitude journal and not like a gratitude journal, but I keep a journal and I try to, uh, discipline myself to be thinking about what I'm thankful for. Um, and really just even through the day when things come to you, even things that are challenging where you're like, Oh man, I try to pay attention to the, Oh man, and see if I can't go, Ooh, Wow. <laughs> or but God, you know, like to see even challenges as opportunities. Uh, and I think that's just practice. I think it's uh, words that we speak. I think it's things we write down. Um, I think it's a posture awareness and shift right in the moment. I do a daily prayer to start my day that is a, what I call a posture shift, uh, which is a, a, assuming a posture of surrender and generosity and mission. And that posture shift every day has been uh, really a game changer in how I, I see God working throughout the day. Those are some things that I've tried to do. A great resource for folks um, listening would be a book that a friend of the podcast and a friend I know that you have, you've been on his podcast as well, Kerry Newhoff. He wrote in his new book, uh, Didn't See It Coming. He has a whole chapter on cynicism. Yeah. There are a lot of great things in that chapter on how to fight that and how to fight a lot of those things that, that I think can creep in and, and like you said, kind of suck the life out of us. Um, yeah, absolutely. He, that book's fantastic. I've read it and, um, it's, it's great. He's so practical, isn't he? Carrie's oh, yeah. such a, he's so, he's like, he's a lawyer. You can tell. <laughs> yeah. You, yep. you, you really cool. can tell. So yeah. We've, we've mentioned some of the stuff that you've done and, 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 and brave and, and other things that you've been involved in. They're, they're, they're kind of global things and you have a lot of, goals that that are are more global in their scope some of the speaking engagements that you do things like that how do you continue to speak vision into these projects into organizations and by the way into churches and organizations that want to bring you in 
to, to talk with them when the scope and sequence of what's going on is so large and so much more than maybe one person can handle? Yeah, I think um, how this works is that every global issue is a local one. Um, like every comp, like I think what happens is we over complicate things to kind of allow us space and distance from that thing. But that actually everything, every global injustice is deeply connected to, um, how we behave. <laughs> so I feel like for me, that's kind of part of what I'm supposed to do. It's kind of part of what I, my calling is, is to connect these very big things to actually really really small, simple things. So for example, you know, this, we were talking about break global. So this scourge of, you know, the commodification of human beings, the fastest growing crime on the planet, the largest um, slave trade ever in the history of the world is happening right now through human trafficking. So that's big. But, you know, your church could identify vulnerable girls and put on a one day event. <laughs> like that's doable. And I feel like, and that doable if every church would act like that, like every church doesn't have to combat the global implications of human trafficking alone. <laughs> like the church itself is so massive. If every church would just do something rather than nothing, we could literally uh, change the planet. So, and we could change the game, you know? So I feel like um, that's the, that's what I get excited about. Not like the big picture like, um, alone, but how the big picture only makes sense in light of every single person contributing what they have and what they do, um, towards that, that end goal, which is redemption and hope and freedom, uh, and truth. So I feel like that's how I do it. I just kind of keep connecting the dots. Um, even in my own life, I just keep connecting the dots and watch what God's painting, you know, what God's drawing. It's, phenomenal how do you cast how do you cast a global vision to a local church or to a local into a, or to a local community yeah uh stories um of where that's happening um so i you know i think i i try to just keep taking pages out of jesus's uh book <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good book i've read it yeah. And it's a good, you know, his strategies are pretty profound, you know? So, I mean, you know, someone asks him, you know, like the deepest part of the law, the most important part of the commandments, like the way that you had designed the world to be. And then Jesus tells a story about this one guy who comes across a guy in need, you know, and you, when you're reading the good Samaritan story, you're sort of thinking like, how does that answer that question? And then you realize it kind of raises way more questions than it actually answers. But the questions it raises through the form of story are questions that everybody can relate to. So everyone's listening to that story going, oh, wait a minute, I've passed a guy in need or, you know, I've walked by on my way to the temple or I've never touched a Samaritan. You know, it, it brings up all of these things that really are little things around exclusion and uh, comfort and safety and like giving and generosity and mission. And it brings up all of these things just in the form of telling one story. So I feel like Jesus is on to something <laughs> that we stories are the way that you help people connect the dots to big global issues, but in their own personal lives and how they connect those things together. 
So speaking of stories, you are a phenomenal storyteller. And I feel like one of the things that really stands about out about your communication is you have great stories and you tell them really well too. Um, so what, what does your process look like? Or do you have a process for, Hey, you know what, this, this story happened to me. I'm going to write it down in my journal or what does that look like? Or do you just have really interesting things that happen to you all the time that none of us are privy to? Because <laughs> it could be that. You know what? Too. I think it's a combination of both. So, and not uh, not like all the time, but I do actually credit living intentionally, sort of on the margins. Um, so, a large part of my life has been living in lower socioeconomic situations, helping people out of trafficking, visiting brothels. You know, those things aren't kind of normal. And uh, they're my normal, but I understand they're not people's normal. And um, so they do afford me a fair bit of room for some some really exceptionally beautiful stories. Um, The other thing is I find that God is in those places, like God finding God's grace and truth and hope. You know, um, I I don't know. There seems to be like an easier way to find that in the darker places. I I don't know why it's a, it's a, I think it's because God is always with the poor to tell you the truth. But um, I seem to discover these incredible things about God in those unlikely situations. So those make for really good stories, right? Because they're the unlikely situation is part of what makes a really good story, the context. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I also think it's just paying attention. I really think it's living a curious uh, life that pays attention to what's happening around you. So, you know, a lot of my stories are about my kids. Uh, A lot of my stories are about my friends. Like a lot of my stories are about uh, plane rides and like, which is my normal. And just paying attention to what God is is doing and and working in, I, I feel like I've trained my I've like done this so much I've trained my children in it. You know, so my son Judah just learned how to ride his bike, and he refused to uh, get rid of the training wheels because he was afraid he doesn't want to fall. And I used all my preaching prowess to you know try to convince him to give it a go. And I flip up the training wheels and say, just this one time, you know, just try it. And he goes and he bikes fine. He can totally bike. He's ready. He's beyond ready. He comes back. He's elated. He looks at me and he says, Mom, it totally worked. I can bike. And I said, I know. And he said, you could preach this. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you could totally preach this, Mom. Think about it. My training wheels were holding me back. (laughs) And I was like, this is awesome. Like now they can start indexing my preaching illustrations. Um, so anyway, have children, I suppose, is that the, is that the answer? Oh. Uh. Um, so I want to I want to ask another question about um, just stories for um, as it concerns, like like if you're on stage and you're communicating a story, what have you learned that helps you tell a good story on stage? Yeah, I mean, timing. Uh, Timing's key. Of course, great stories have unexpected twists, you know, and sort of details that you wouldn't naturally put together. So, like, when you can feel where a story's going and then there's like a, that's not where I thought that story was going, that's when you know that you have some some people's attention, right? Because you want to know how the story ends. So some of those things include things like tension, uh, characters. Um, 
I used to have my mom used to uh, help me practice uh, music when I was a kid, and I would play this music, and she would close her eyes while I would play the music, and she would say, "Yeah, no, that's not right," and I would say, "What? That's totally right. Like I played it totally right." And she said, "Yeah, you may have played the notes right, but I couldn't see it." And I I think about that all the time when I'm preaching. Like, you can have all the notes right, but if someone can't see it, you're not preaching right. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you can tell a story where people, you paint it in such a way as you're telling it that people can enter into it, that they can see it, I think you're on to something. So I want to go so, back to something that you said. You said that you live life on the margins. Talk about um, how, talk about what you've learned from just living life on the margins and why it's so important for the everyday person and even us um, to live life on the margins. Yeah, this all began for me in many ways. Um, well, I think, firstly, I identified with people on the margins because of the own trajectory of my parents and my, my own life. So uh, one was a strong sort of sense of identity with folks who are excluded. So that helped. Uh, two, I grew up with a real strong ethos that God is for uh, the oppressed. And um, so that really helps. <laughs> and uh, three, I had this dream uh, that kept me awake for many, many, many weeks. And it was terrifying. I fell asleep in this dream. Well, I walked through a doorway in the dream and there was a spider web I didn't see. I got bit by this big fat hairy spider, which I hate spiders, by the way. <laughs> and I walk into this room. I get totally sleepy. Like I'm so tired and ta-da, this like cot appears in the room. And so I lie down on the cot and um, then all of a sudden I can't feel my body anymore. Like I'm totally paralyzed. I'm still awake, but I'm paralyzed. I can't move. And from all the four corners of the room came all these tiny little spiders and they consumed me. And I was like, ah, <laughs> I just had a dream from the devil, you know, like, and I cast the dream back to hell where it came from. And cause everyone knows spiders come from the devil. And also, like, I died, which I don't think is in the scripture, but I know in a movie somewhere it says that you shouldn't die in your sleep, so in your dreams. So I panicked, and I called people to pray for me, and I, like, got all really, really, like, uh, spiritual about it and started doing very deep theological things, like sleeping with a Bible under my pillow and, <laughs> you know, anointing my pillow with, I don't know, frankincense or something. And um, anyway, this thing wouldn't go away. Finally, somebody said to me, have you asked God? Of, uh, that for an interpretation and I was like no because it can't be from God like I die in the dream you know and uh finally I, I relented and said God you know is this from you and instantly I understood the dream it was the weirdest thing but I felt like God told me that I had walked through a cultural doorway and I had been bitten by a, a dominant uh, power of the culture which was a, a sleepy uh, spiritual life, that I was falling asleep spiritually. And what would happen is if I gave into that sleepiness, you know, which I mean, think about it, I have, I can stay up to like late watching a Netflix series, but ask me to pray, you know, and I'm way too tired. you know. And this goes on and on, like, there's a spiritual sleepiness in our culture. And, um, and God said to me, if you give into that spiritual sleepiness, you'll be consumed, but you won't be consumed. Like you're not going to die in a blaze of glory. You're not going to die like fighting some giant. You're going to die of like tiny little things that don't matter. 
like worship styles or like, you know, what color you painted your living room walls or like, I mean, I don't care, whatever, but it's going to be like nothing. And I said to him, I don't want that. Like, I, I don't want to die like that. Um, so how do I wake myself up? And I felt like God told me there were two ways to wake myself up. One was love, which is, you know, from the song of songs where the lover can't get out of bed and then sees her lover, like sees this thing that she's in love with. So love wakes us up. But the other thing I felt like uh, God said to me is pain, like is um, discomfort. Uh, That's what wakes you up. When you're driving, you're falling asleep at the wheel. You do weird things to keep yourself awake, right? Because you know the stakes are high. So you like pinch yourself or you turn up the radio too loud or you wind on the winter. If you live in Canada, you wind on the window in the winter and you like get a blast of freezing cold air. You know, you know, you're not supposed to do any of those things, right? You play like Like, a, a Taylor Swift album on repeat. Yeah, like just do whatever you got to do to keep yourself awake, but you know that you're doing them because it's going to keep you awake and you're, you don't want to die. And for me, like I moved to the poorest postal code in Canada uh, in a in a ghetto full of drug addicts to stay awake. And I know like lots of people in my life have said like, oh, how kind of you to go help the poor, you know, and I was like, no, no, that's not why I went. I mean, I hope I've helped some people. But the reality, the reason why I moved into that situation was because I was falling asleep and I was just like headed towards a meaningless death. And I needed some disruption in my life. I needed some discomfort in my life. I needed an agent of awakening to pay attention to like what God was doing in the world. And for me, that's what, so trying to posture myself in places where it's uncomfortable has been part of a strategy for me of staying awake. And uh, it's hard to explain because everything in our world and everything in our culture moves us towards comfort, but comfort equals death spiritually. And so I'm trying and it's really hard, but I keep trying to move towards uh, discomfort as an agency of alertness. Whenever I hear you talk, I think about in the Old Testament with um, in particular uh, the prophet Jeremiah, who I consider the book of Jeremiah to be the fifth gospel. (laughs) I don't like people can fight me on that. Um, But what I hear is, is you talking really about what he was telling the Israelites, which was the people of Israel who who were, you know, at the time kind of uh, they thought everything was was honky dory, everything was going well. Um, if 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 a person like Jeremiah or a person like you who's saying, you know, hey, this is something that is real that happens to people, we fall asleep. What would you tell the Christian church today about what needs to happen for us to begin to wake back up and understand that that God does care for the poor, the widow, the orphan. Uh, and, and how can we begin in our churches to have this awakening, like like a, like what Jeremiah is talking about, or like what you're saying with what you've done? Yeah, I mean, I feel like everything I do right now is about trying to help people with this. So um, for me, the first one is a desire. So even just the revelation that we're going comfortably towards uh, spiritual death. Uh, the awareness of that is really good. So one of the things I'm most excited about it these days is people don't want that. Like, I feel like that's been exposed now, like comfort equals like spiritual death. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's a hunger, which I think is really good news because that's like step number one, right? To even be aware that there's a problem here and we want something different. So that's cool. I'm really excited about that. And that's partly what gives me such hope for the future because that hunger, you know, when you're really hungry for the things that God's already hungry for, that's a good recipe for 
some fantastic uh, journeys. Um, so that's uh, number one. And number two, like all of literally all of these things, like um, Amplify Peace is a movement that I've started to help mobilize people to become peacemakers in their community. And I use this, we, we Amplify Peace uses this really simple model of transformation. And the first step is to, to learn to listen, but not just listen to people who are like you, but learn to listen, be intentional about listening to voices that you never hear. So this is where we talk about proximity to the oppressed, right? So like we hear about the oppressed from somebody else, but do we know them? So even just making an effort in your life to listen to a voice that you never hear, someone from another culture, another background, someone who's suffering, someone who's, you know, you have an opinion about, but who you don't really know, that's like a, that is an opposite direction. That's an uncomfortable thing. That's discomfort. And it's embracing discomfort as a means to change the way that your life works and then the way the world works as a result. So listening is a really good place to start, but not listening intentionally to excluded voices. So find out who those people are. And then the second thing is to be a learner. And I think this is where it gets to curiosity, like really just discovering, like becoming a learner of people and things and places that are doing things that are different. So I often say to people like, just start, you don't have to start your own anti-trafficking company just because you got passionate about uh, trafficking. Like there's so many people that are doing amazing things in the world, like learn from them and then join them. Like actually do something like volunteer, like go to a woman, you're, you're really passionate about abused women or domestic violence, go volunteer at a domestic violence shelter. You don't have to start a shelter. Just begin uh, to actually move towards a learner posture in your life, learn something different. And then um, the third thing is to, of course, live. So to incorporate this in your life. So how does this change the way that you live on a day to day basis? And that's kind of like this really simple transformational tool, both inside and out that people can can use. And really, it's not that complicated. You know, it's actually simple. The problem is that simple isn't easy. uh, And we want it to be easy. It's not. It's simple. But simple can be hard. But I say my best advice is to just start. Just begin. For someone who is like in a leadership position, how can they help move people more into that direction and that lifestyle that you're talking about? Yeah, take them with you. So my my best um, experience of and my best sort of transformational experiences are when people come and see. Uh, which of course is what Jesus invited, like, follow me, come see, you want to come see what I'm up to? Come, come check it out. And then people are like, what? (laughs) The blind are seen, like we can't go back to normal. Right. So I think, um, and this is, makes it really important that you go, like you can't send somebody in a direction you're not willing to go yourself. So you go and then you invite people to come with you. And when you invite people to come with you, that's what changes them and changes you. And then you know, it's a, it's an attractional model. Mm-hmm. So Daniel, just as we're wrapping up, we always have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests on the podcast. And the first one is what's one thing that is helping you either personally or professionally right now? Uh, one thing is this thing I practice called, uh, infinitum, which is Latin for boundless. Um, and I, I talked about how I start my day with a daily prayer And then I have a regular uh, meetup with a person who's a support person in my life. There's somebody I can not only confess my sin to, but also share my joy with. 
And then I get a, a monthly challenge uh, from this uh, this system that uh, encourages me to keep my faith journey uh, fresh. So that's called Infinitum, and I, I do that. That has been a game changer, which I, it's been so weird because it's so simple, but it really has changed um, my ability to be available to God on a daily basis. So that's called Infinitum. If anyone's interested, uh, you can go to the website. It's all free, Infinitum Life. Dot com um, and check it out. We'll put that in the show notes. So let me get this straight. So you, there's a person every day you meet with. Not every day. The day the day is the prayer, and every week is the person I meet with. Okay, okay. I got. Yeah. I was like, you're meeting with a person every day. Like you just became the most spiritual person I've ever met. Yeah, like I don't want you to confuse me with Bob Goff. You know what I'm saying? Well, hold on. So Bob Goff. That's all. So let's. Bob off. Holy cow. Yeah, he's like off the charts. I'm just trying to catch up. Yeah. I think all of us are trying to catch up to to, to 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 Bob Goff. I mean, anybody who can write his Twitter follow, by the way, if anybody out there is listening that hasn't followed Bob Goff yet, you follow <laughs> Bob Goff on Twitter and you'll cry every day. Because he'll say something and you're just like, dang it. Yeah, he's remarkable. Yeah, he's yeah. a phenomenal guy. So what, what advice would you give to somebody who is eager to learn? I'd say practice what you learn. Start today. So take one thing that you've learned and practice it, and your learning will um, take on a whole new dimension. If you could have everybody learn one thing, and that could be, you know, you should all know how to tie your shoe or if it's something spiritual and very philosophical, what would that thing be? It could be anything on that spectrum. Yeah, the only thing I think to learn is to be loved and to love. Mm. Wow, okay. So we both just sat here looking at each <laughs> other. Like, Everything oh. else is details. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we were both just sitting here looking at each other like, oh. So, so talk a little bit about a little bit more about that. What would you say that looks like on like a, you know, on a practical everyday basis? Well, I think that love, and I mean, the problem is the, the overuse and the misuse of the word love, but I think that ultimately we are created by God for God and for each other. So there is this, you know, it's the greatest commandment, right? Like it's when Jesus was asked, like, if you could just, Take one, like, yeah, basically he was asked the same question. You just asked me and, uh, and he said, love, love God and love yourself and love others. That there's this, uh, integral connection in this idea that if you know that you're loved, then you can't, then fear goes away. What fear is like the obstacle for everything, right? If you, if you peel away the practical nature of it at the end, the biggest obstacle in the way of us fulfilling whatever it is that we feel called to for us experiencing whatever it is that we want, it's fear, right? Mm -hmm. The biggest obstacle in the way of us living like Bob Goff is fear. Like we don't put our number in the back of the book because we're afraid. We're afraid we'll be overwhelmed. We're afraid we can't measure up. We're afraid we'll be bothered. You know, like whatever it is, it's fear, right? So I feel like love is the antidote to fear. And so it seems like kind of Sunday school-ish and really simple. And actually, I think it might be Sunday school-ish. I think probably uh, we just don't live it. So we, we dismiss it because of its simplicity instead of embracing the simplicity as a practice, which then is like blow your mind amazing. So I think love, if we could understand that we're loved beyond everything else. So this has not like I could be a 
colossal failure or a huge success, it doesn't matter. I'm loved. That's like the highest uh, acceptance for me. Like God, God isn't like going like, gee, I hope she doesn't screw this one up. You know, like, um, as a matter of fact, sometimes screwing things up is a way to get me closer to God, which would be a win for him. So I feel like, um, and a win for me, by the way. So I feel like this, if we kept love as our aim to be loved and then to love, I, if I, if people could look at my life and go, wow, she loved well, I would say I've accomplished, uh, the highest achievement of my life. Like that, that's, that's uh, what I want to, that's what I want to be, do, become. And then our last question is, what are you learning right now? You know what? I've, uh, I'm learning. I feel like I'm, I'm growing up. Like, and I, it's actually my birthday today, believe it or not. Happy birthday. And yeah, like I'm officially middle-aged. Um, although my, my friends are telling me like I'm older than that already, but (laughs) I'm declaring this birthday as a arriving at middle age. And, um, and I have just embarked on kind of like a new season of my life, right? In uh, December, I stopped being an officer. That was 22 years of my life that was like really framed and in a structured system. And so in January, I just began like a whole new way of living. Um, and not like different in the essence of things like love and grace and true, like all those things are the same, but just the way, like I started a business and I'm like my own boss, which is like weird. I don't have anybody to answer to in the sense that I'm not in trouble. Um, (laughs) and, um, it just feels like, it feels like a, a season of adulting. Like I feel like God's saying, you know, I think you can, I think you're ready, you know, to make some decisions. Like, (laughs) Uh, to grow up. So it feels really exciting. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for being on the Learner's Corner podcast today. If people want to continue to learn more from you, um, where's the best place for them to go to do that? Yeah, probably the easiest spot is my website, daniellestrickland.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. You got it. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, Todd. What can I say? What can I say? My goodness. Yeah, it's she. She definitely is an, is an inspiring person. I think. I guess what I would take out of this con- this this conversation is, is passion. Her passion um, for whatever it is that she's doing. So whether that's speaking, writing, or all of the work that she does um, with women, it's it's unbelievable to me to just watch her passion and her energy that she has. Um, and so that's the big takeaway for for me is. Whatever it is that we're doing, I, she really, to me, embodies the, the the piece of scripture in the Bible that, that talks about how whatever you do, do it as though you're doing it unto the Lord. And that means with excellence, and that means with, with energy and, 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 and intentionality. Um, I don't even know if that's a word, but that's that's the thing. Um, so that, that would be my big takeaway from her. Awesome. And Todd, we have... Um, Great episode next week, too. Do you know who we're talking with? No, who are we talking to? You haven't told me. Next week, we are talking with Solema Gorani. You remember our conversation with Solema? What? It's like Christmas, but Christmas just happened. Just just give a tease. What are we talking about with Solema? 
We talked with her, well, hang on, because we talked with her about a whole heck of a lot of things, um, but one of the major things that I took away um, from my conversation with her is just how incredibly intense it is um, to be at high levels at whatever it is that you're doing as a career. Wait till you listen to this conversation. It's going to be lit. And the best way to make sure you don't miss our po- next podcast is by subscribing to our podcast and whatever podcast player you use. Yeah, go do that. You can also subscribe to the podcast. You can leave a rating and write a review. Hey, speaking of reviews, Todd. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Here we go. You know, we're in the midst of this challenge. <laughs> if we get to 100 ratings and reviews, um, then I'm going to start reading them uh, with a with an interesting voice. But we're not quite there yet. We're not quite there yet, but, but we I are going to read a review. This is from... Uh, this is actually from somebody that I know. It's from Josh Morris. And here's what he had to say. This is one of the better podcasts I listen to. It's great to listen to the quality of guest speakers and questions that these guys have. Totally recommend this podcast to anyone wanting to learn and grow themselves and their organization. Well, thanks, Josh, for that. We really appreciate it. And we just want to make sure that every week we're bringing content that's relevant to all of you and that it's something that you can learn and grow from on a weekly basis. Make sure to keep bringing it, put, pouring in those ratings and reviews because we want we all want Caleb to read some of those in a funny accent let's do it let's let's get this thing done I need that in my life I need that video and that audio for to play at his wedding one day let's make this happen <laughs> yes so don't forget to subscribe to the podcast leave us a rating write a review and until next time my name is Caleb Mason my name is not Caleb Mason it's Todd Hicksonball Keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.